When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, okay. And welcome back to Talkin' Nicks. I'm Tom Piccolo. We're recording this on a Sunday evening. And uh, it's been a while since we put out a pod. Um, we took Easter weekend off here at Talkin' Nicks and kind of fell out of the groove. But uh, uh, the Knicks have done the exact opposite. You know, they're on a six-game winning streak. I'm joined by my friend Kenny Poon to talk about it. Let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, and before we get into the Knicks talk, let's do the hey, how are yous? Kenny, how you doing? Uh, I am pretty good, Tom. I uh, can't complain. Just uh, another Sunday, watching the Knicks win a game, you know, because that's what they do now is they all they do is win, 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 no matter what. It's crazy. It is. It is quite a turn of events. I mean, I feel like when we were going to record on on Easter Sunday, they were coming off like a three-game losing streak. At one point, they'd lost five of six games. And, and I feel like we are kind of just jumping right into the Knicks talk, and that's fine because that's what's going on in my world. But, I mean... I was, I, I was going to say, do we want to wait? Do you want to tell people how your weekend was? Because that's just the most recent thing that happened to me was I watched the Knicks game. I mean, there's that... not a whole lot to report here. I did get my first, my first shot. That was exciting. Sure. Um, had some general arm soreness, no other symptoms or side effects, but, uh, my folks came to visit this weekend, had them stay with us and it was good to see them. I haven't seen them since, uh, the holidays. So it'd been a while and, uh, yeah, like fine, fine weekend. And I am, I am just rearing to go and excited to talk about the Knicks for the first time in a while. It has been a while since we've done it. Yeah. Are you, did they immediately schedule you for your next one or? Yes, so it was actually four weeks from the from the day that I got it, which felt like a long time, but I yeah. wasn't gonna, you know, I've waited this long, so I think that's that's the Moderna, the Pfizer, which I got. Uh, I have my second shot this upcoming Friday, and uh, that is three weeks after my initial shot. So it's something exciting stuff, and yeah, because I saw you the night of your first shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had some, uh, like you, some general arm soreness, and then the entire next day, general arm soreness, and then it just went away overnight. Like, it was fine. Like, nothing happened. Totally fine. And, I mean, yeah, as I was saying, like, the, the Knicks were kind of on a skid for a little bit there, and I feel like a lot of us put our guards up. Like, as Knicks fans, having suffered through trauma before, we were just kind of like, there was a lot of this, oh, it wouldn't be so bad if the Knicks missed the playoffs. I heard a lot of that on Twitter. And since then, it's been a six-game winning streak and kind of everyone's changed their tune. Yeah, we were we were peeking in at Cade Cunningham in the, the tournament just to see what was going on. We weren't like, oh, this guy's going to end up on our team. But just in case, let me, let, me, let me peek in at the tournament, see what's happening. And then also, you know, um, Jake and BBD who are – you know, big parts of this podcast started with the Yankees stuff, so they've been they've been crazy busy. 
So uh, luckily for us, uh, the Knicks decided to turn things around and make things interesting for us. Yeah, and just a, just a real quick overview. Um, we're not going to go through game by game, but like just the results. Like the, the 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 Knicks beat the Grizzlies in overtime for their first win of the streak. Went on to beat the Raptors, the Lakers, all at home, and then they were at New Orleans where they beat the Pelicans in Dallas where they beat the Mavericks, and then today they were home again for a rematch against the Pelicans. <laughs> That's a lot of wins, Kenny. Um, and and the way I kind of want to, you know frame this podcast is I just want to go through, go back and forth and have each of us give our top three, maybe it doesn't have to be the top three, just three things that have really stood out for us during this win streak. I want to keep it contained as much as we can to the win streak, keep it mostly positive. Um, so if that sounds good to you, I, I'm curious, like what's the, what's like the one, maybe the top thing you've noticed so far during these past six games? I mean, there there's a couple big things, but the the one that I most want to talk about, and I think it's something that you've you've talked about a lot, uh, you know, with your your videos and on on Twitter and whatnot. But RJ's performance in the clutch in a lot of these games, and particularly the Memphis game, is sticking out in my mind. I'm sure there were other games uh, where where he had big shots, but in that Memphis game, he hit a big three and he had a couple big uh, big free throws, and then. I, I don't know if it was the Raptors game, um, maybe the Lakers game, that he, he also had some big fourth quarter points. And this is coming after those Anthony Edwards comments that, you know, I, I don't fault Anthony Edwards. I think he's just bad at doing interviews. If you, like, have ever seen any of his interviews, he says some weird things. Like, right afterwards, he said uh, that he doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is, um, despite the fact that in the past he said he could have played in the MLB and, like, seemed to know what he was talking about with baseball. So I think he's a bad interviewer, but... That interview made the rounds, and everyone was talking about R.J. Barrett's uh, performance in the clutch. You know, you put out your video, kind of dispelling some of the 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 views that he wasn't a, you know, a, at least an average clutch performer. Um, and then he comes out in these games and just went off in the the fourth quarter and in overtime for for big time performances. Yeah, man. I, and actually, I think a lot of people would um, disagree with you and say that Anthony Edwards is actually a fantastic interview because he just has no filter and it doesn't have to be all that informed. It's just the fact that he's giving these uncanned responses to media. Cause you know, in these, in these media scrums, you just get the most banal, boring answers you possibly can from athletes. And it is kind of refreshing that Anthony Edwards comes in, doesn't seem to care what anybody thinks and just lets it loose. I mean, yeah, the fact that his, you know, his take a couple weeks ago was, you know, disparaging RJ Barrett was unfortunate, but overall, he's he is pretty entertaining. I'll give him I'll give him that. But I'll like I think I mentioned might have mentioned this on Twitter too. But like his, some of his interviews, like he just says ridiculous things. Like he really does. It, it, the in the lottery NBA draft lottery on um, ESPN. Like this is the time when your players are supposed like supposed to be hyping themselves up to get drafted. <laughs> and uh, they put a microphone in front of him and they asked him like what what was going on and like how he was feeling. He's like he said, you know, college prepared him for the NBA because he had a lot of bad games. So he knows how to like have a bad game and move on. And I'm just like, no, dude, no. I love it. That's so ridiculous. But um, but to your point about RJ and the clutch. So first of all, yeah, clutch performance was kind of one of my 
was going to be maybe one of my uh, three things to look at too because overall on the season, this might surprise you, the Knicks are actually the fifth best team in the league in the clutch, and that's defining clutch as in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime with the score within five points. Um, I mean, that's it's pretty crazy because it doesn't. It feels like there was a long time there where they were losing a lot of close games, um, but but on the season, I'm talking in terms of plus minus their point differential. They are the the fifth best team in the, in crunch time, and RJ has definitely been a huge part of that. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about RJ's performance these past six games. One thing that really stands out to me was in that in that Mavericks game, and I want to talk more about the Mavericks game soon. But he started the the fourth quarter. Just it was him and the bench unit, and the score it, it was it was eighty three seventy nine to start the quarter. Um, Knicks were up by four, and RJ just took over. Like Julius Randle was was getting a breather. He was finally getting some rest. It was a crucial time in the game. Barrett came out, made a layup. He made a he made an and one free throw. Um, he hit a three. He posted up JJ Redick and made another layup. Like he was just he was dominant in during that stretch, and it kind of kept us afloat until Julius Randle was able to come back in. But um, oh, remember he also made that that tip shot right. He missed a layup and then was just a total beast. Grabbed the offensive board and put it right back up. He just was undeniable in that fourth quarter against the Mavs. So, I mean. It's been, he's been impressive in so many ways, but especially in the fourth quarter and overtime, he just seems to take it to another level. Yeah, and I'm I I was also looking at the Grizzly game, um, so I'm trying to look through the play by play right now. And the Knicks down one twelve to one oh nine with thirty seven seconds left. R.J. Barrett gets fouled, taking a three, makes all three free throws to tie it. That was huge. Uh, that was huge, and then. Um, the Grizzlies come back to take the lead. So John Morant makes makes uh, one of two, and then Valanciunas makes one of two. So 15 and a half seconds left. Valanciunas just made the first one. He misses the second free throw. R.J. Barrett grabs the rebound and just takes it down, bodies uh, John Morant, and makes the layup to tie the game and send it into overtime. Like That, that was just so huge. Like I, I, I don't have enough superlatives to describe how excited I was by R.J. Barrett grabbing a rebound, taking it down. Like, that's a time when you think that, you know, they might call a timeout, something like that. Just takes it down, bodies John Moran out of the way, and takes a layup. Like, it was amazing. I mean, just it shows just how competitive he is, right? I mean, John Morant being the guy who was chosen before him in the draft, who was who won Rookie of the Year, who got all these accolades and attention, whereas Barrett was just kind of disparaged for his his rookie year. He didn't win it. We say it like every year, every time we're on a podcast, but he didn't even make any of the All Rookie teams, and he there was just a lot of negative talk around his game in general. Um, just that it, it may have lacked polish, and there are still maybe some concerns in that area. But he's he's so competitive, and he's developing so quickly that just it, it's hard to be worried about the kid. He's such a worker. Um, I mean, yeah, him him taking it to John Morant was was incredible. His his three point shooting. I'm just looking at these past six games. He's hitting 41% on four and a half attempts per game. And if you go beyond that, I know his numbers are equally impressive for a much longer stretch. So um, I'm with you. I think, I think that's a great starting point for like what 
you know, has it been has Barrett been the number one reason that we're on this six game winning streak? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but the fact that he is such a foundational piece to this team and he's performing the way he is, I think you're right to to give that top billing. Yeah, and you know, going along with what you're saying, he is on the season shooting thirty eight point one percent from three, which is absurd. Because like, what kind of volume is that? So that's on. attempts per game. Is that right? I feel like he shoots more, but 3.7 attempts per game. Um, Yeah. And I think those, those numbers are just going up, you know, like you look at the trend lines on that and the, the attempts are going up. The, the percentage is going up along with it and his confidence is going up. He's stepping into threes. He, we saw him like take a dribble into one that, that hasn't really been a part of his game yet. And I think that's going to be a huge area for improvement, I think in the coming seasons, but the fact that he is has so much confidence as a spot up shooter right now, and, and his teammates are actually just look are looking for him now. It's not just a last resort to get an RJ Barrett wide open three. I think it's gotten because there was a time there where where you know defenses didn't respect his shot at all. So the threes he was taking and sometimes making were mostly open ones. But I, I think that he's proven that he can't just be left completely wide open anymore, and he's having to hit more contested threes threes during bigger parts of the game during clutch situations and he is stepping up and and knocking them down and the kind of corollary to that is him being able to make threes allows more spacing when he's in the game and that allows more room for like a Julius Randle to get into the paint so if you have like him and Reggie Bullock and Alec Burks in the game that's three competent shooters and then maybe a, a a big to to run the pick and the big big pick and roll with Julius Randle and like that's just creates so much spacing and it's just you know it's just another threat for RJ Barrett who that was my biggest concern for him coming out of the draft was his ability to shoot because you know he's he's a very strong 20 year old player and you know he's got he's shown some craftiness in his game but we didn't know about the shooting and earlier this year he went over 21 from three over a four game stretch and now he's shooting 38 percent from the from three point uh territory on the season like it it's a crazy development and you know even if even if he's not a 38 percent shooter which given what i've seen this season i have no reason to believe that uh he can't sustain that in the future he will at the very least be a serviceable shooter from three yeah i would have lost several bets about what that number was going to end at for the season because i mean 38 percent right now I, i don't think you can make the argument that it's not real that it's fool's gold like it's it all seems so sustainable unless teams really start game planning for him and like, you know, running him off the line and he he has to take more off the dribble threes and things of that nature right now as a spot up shooter, like this feels extremely real. So um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not all that concerned about it. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that I have much else to add. So if you want to, you want to move on to the second one, then I'm all for it. And and I kind of touched on this a little bit, already talking about the uh, RJ in the fourth quarter, but I want to reiterate, I thought that that Dallas win was the Knicks' best win of the season. Like, hands down, it was. I thought it was the most impressive, complete, exciting win. I, I, was, I was blown away by this team. It was the fifth win in a row, and it was, you know, Friday Night Knicks, the whole thing. Um, obviously, there's the whole, you know, Chris Porzingis element to it, and... The Knicks came out and, you know, they won the game by eight and just throughout it felt like they were 
in control or they they had an answer for everything that that Luca threw at them or, or just any of the the Dallas guys like it was it was just a super impressive win to me um I don't know how did you feel watching that one I'm if if I'm being honest with you that win was just I I don't know if it was just my you know distaste for Kristaps Porzingis or if there are further things but I was so annoyed the entire game watching uh like Porzingis and Doncic and my my boy Jalen Brunson at one point and you know Tim Hardaway Jr. complaining over every call like it's just it's it's not fun to watch for me but on the flip side watching the damage that Julius Randle did in that game like made it all worth it we got to give the line here he had he had 44 points on 16 of 29 shooting including 6 of 11 from 3 and 6 of 9 from the free throw line. He had 10 boards, 7 assists to just 3 turnovers. I mean, he, he played 41 minutes and was an absolute monster. There was no answer for him. Like, it didn't matter who was defending him on the Dallas side. Like, they were trying to throw Kleber at him, Maxi Kleber. Um, I mean, Dory, Finney Smith is too small. It was just, it, there was no chance. I mean, Porzingis, forget about it. So... It was uh, it was just such a satisfying win to me. I, I, you're right. There was a ton of complaining, especially on the Dallas side of things, and I don't feel like they got a particularly unfavorable whistle. But you know, the Knicks just they shot the ball well. Like we shot 14 of 28 from three. That's 50 percent, and we're we're scorching from mid range too. Ended up with 22 mid range points. Um, I'm just going through this box score, and it's I'm, I'm kind of reliving it. Like obviously the the stretch of Barrett during that fourth quarter was probably the most fun for me. But then you even have to remember Frank Nilakina got only four minutes, but they were a very important four minutes. It was it was kind of in that eight minute range left in the fourth. And he he came out, yeah, you know, with nine twenty left. He hit that step back three. <laughs> like he this is a guy who's been sitting on the bench for weeks, hasn't seen much action at all, and just stayed ready. Um Played solid defense. He had a free throw as well. So, I mean, did you? I mean, you had to like seeing the Frank minutes too. You know me. I'm I'm the biggest Frank guy out there, and so yes, I did love that. And like it, it does kind of serve, uh, you know, just a little peek at this team's mentality because Alec Burke went out. Um, he's in, you know, health and safety protocols, and so we weren't really sure where the minutes were going to come from. Uh, so Frank, like you said. He he's he's gotten to the last few games before that in like the last five seconds, the last fifteen seconds of the game, and this game he got in in like very important minutes and he played well. Um, given it was only four minutes, but he he did his thing, and that's kind of been the Knicks' calling card all season. His next man up, you know, Nerlens Noel stepped in um, for for Mitchell Robinson. Then even when when uh, Nerlens went out for a game, Taj Gibson stepped in and had a great game, and even today, like. Kevin Knox comes off the bench and just hits a pull-up jumper and like where did that come from so it's just it's it's good to see that mentality from the Knicks and you know I I love I love seeing Frank get buckets it's it's great it is great and and another thing on Barrett there is he he played 46 of the game's 48 minutes that is so ridiculous just the workload he was put under and and he he performed he finished the game with 24 points eight boards a couple assists just one turnover um, and, and I feel like turnovers are kind of an issue for, for Barrett still. I mean, he, yeah, he, I'm not worried about him. Like I said, 20 years old, he's going to keep 
um, keep getting better and improving on that end. But in this game, he was just there was a reason he played 46 minutes. Like he he was needed on the floor. He was he was a not a team high plus 12 because that belonged to Derrick Rose. He was plus 14 in his 25 minutes. But um, I mean Barrett was was crucial. Like we we absolutely needed every one of his minutes, and that's why. Um, I don't know. That's a huge reason why that Mavs win, I think, was the most satisfying of the season for me. Definitely. Definitely up there. Always always nice to to beat your ex, you know? That's nice. The We both we won the game and helped our draft position at the there same time, which is also a, a rare thing to happen. Yeah, and I think uh I think I'm ready to to move on to the to your second one. What do you got? Oh, let me let me pull up the list. There's just so many, so many things running through. How to type it in? Oh, my next one, which I um, mentioned briefly, was uh, the the defensive play of Nerlens Noel. Nice. There have been, there were two oh, during the six game winning streak. I think I think both in the last two games, people tried to dunk on Nerlens Noel, and it did not end well for them. He just swatted them. Um, was it Finney Smith last game, and then uh, Brandon Ingram this game? Man, th- those blocks were just—they're incredible. And, and the, the Ingram one was like during crunch time, pretty much, right? Or it just—it it felt so huge as far as the momentum of the game. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was uh, the, the Dorian Finney Smith block with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, and then today's, I mean, it's funny, Kenny, cause we did not talk about what our three each would be. And this was my second one was, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, what else can you say? Like, yeah. I mean, look, the, the Knicks have had the third best defense in the league this season per cleaning the glass. So that gets rid of like garbage time and stuff. Um, so the third best defensive rating on the season, and you would expect that to dip with Mitchell Robinson going out. But even over the course of the last two weeks, they still have the third best defense in the league during that span. Like it hasn't dipped at all. It has maintained. It has stayed. It has stayed the same the whole throughout. And Nerlens Noel is a huge part of that. Um, yeah, Doris Burke mentioned uh, Noel's rim protection on the broadcast day, so I looked it up, and and I got a stat for you. So eighty-five players have defended at least one hundred and fifty shots at the rim this season. And Noel ranks third in defensive field goal percentage allowed. Third out of those 85. Like It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the top two, I think, are Miles Turner and uh Jakob Pertle, if I'm not mistaken. But he is I mean Noel's been unreal. So uh he's been such a just a spark of energy. Um you you can't say enough about it. And you know, just over the last again, over the six game winning streak, he's averaging Three blocks per game, 1.2 steals per game, and nine rebounds per game in just 28 and a half minutes. And like three blocks in 28 and a half minutes, like that's good. I know he's in the top five on the on the season in the NBA for blocks per game, but he's he's really stepped it up. And like I don't know if I want to, I don't know if this is going to ruin your day, but I kind of want to fold Taj Gibson into the conversation because them as a pair have both been phenomenal. Um, you know, just just playing the center role. I I didn't have Taj on my list, but I okay. think he definitely I think he definitely deserves to be mentioned in the same breath because like his minutes, 
it, it seems like every time he's on the court, and, and uh, yeah, it just feels like there's a steadying presence on the floor. He's he never seems to make mistakes defensively. He's always where he needs to be, and he do, he, he keeps the offense humming too. But I'm just looking at, at some of the the numbers from today's Pelicans game. Gibson, I didn't even notice he had 18 boards, six of them offensive. He had six offensive rebounds in this game against a Pelicans team that is monstrous. They are huge. Yeah. Steven Adams <laughs> played most of this game, played 36 minutes. I mean, he himself had eight offensive rebounds, so there yeah. you go. But, I mean, Zion yeah. as well. I think they're the best offensive rebounding team in the league is what was mentioned on the broadcast, and that totally tracks because they are just so hard to move. Taj Gibson went in there and went went toe-to-toe with him. Yeah, and you can be forgiven for not noticing all of Gibson's rebounds because we were absolutely dominated on the glass today. Uh, I don't have the stats to back that up, but just having watched it, uh, I, I know that um, New Orleans just ended up with so many offensive rebounds. But just, again, looking looking like I kind of went through New Orleans and Noel's stats, uh, Taj Gibson in 23.4 minutes, so that's a little over 48 minutes because they had two overtime games in this stretch. But, you know, you figure that those two were the five for the entire game. Uh, of both games actually I think Norvell Pell got in for a little bit um, but the two of them or Taj Gibson I'm sorry is averaging in in that time 7.7 rebounds per game uh, 0.8 blocks and 1. Point, or 0.8 steals and 1.5 blocks so between Noel and Taj Gibson in about 48 minutes a game they're averaging four and a half blocks and 16.7 rebounds to go along with two steals like that's if you're getting that from your center position for 48 minutes that's phenomenal it's tough to beat that and I just I think that Gibson adds such just a vocal leadership presence too I remember this may have been a little earlier so not within our six game winning streak but Obi Toppin gave up a rebound I think it was to the Wizards um, in one of those games, it was like uh, we won both those Wizards games. So I'm not I'm not remembering exactly when this was, but Obi Toppin was in position and failed to get a rebound, and just during the play, Gibson got in like got in his jersey a little bit. He yelled at him and made sure he knew like hey that effort's not acceptable here, and it was just cool to see because like you know sometimes these rookies do need that tough love. And, you know, I remember Obi stepped it up after that. Like, his, his motor was definitely humming after. So, um, I just think, yeah, Gibson brings a lot of those intangibles, but also just a lot of, t- you know, based on those numbers you were just reading, a lot of tangibles <laughs> as well. So, um, no, I, I think it's a good good call to uh, to highlight those. Um, and if we want to move on to the next one, I, I want to shout out a different guy, and that's Derek Rose, who – you know, as the backup point guard to to Alfred Payton, I think, I'm, and I'm not sh- shouting out Rose to disparage Payton. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just, it's so obvious what a benefit Rose brings to the to the offense. Just the fact that he's able to, to penetrate defenses and create for himself and for others. Like, it's just not something, I mean, he does have a shot that you somewhat have to respect, Um I'm looking. He was he was two of four from three today against New Orleans. You can't leave him wide open. Like he'll at least take it, and there's there's some chance he'll make it. It's just I uh, I tweeted this today, and I'm not usually in the 
business of reading my own tweets on podcasts, but I'm going to do it anyway. I said, <laughs> this is good radio. I said, one thing I appreciate about Derrick Rose is he demonstrates so much confidence in the young Knicks players. He makes a concerted effort to find those guys and puts them in situations that they play so they play to their strengths, whether that's spot-up threes for Knox or cuts and rim runs, rim runs for Obi Toppin. It does seem like you know the young guys talk about Derrick Rose in such a reverential way, and they talk about how he's always kind of you know being a mentor to them, and it shows on the court too. Like Derrick Rose, more so than anybody, really looks for the young guys on the team and tries to set them up for success. Yeah, and I know there was the the story early on, um, right after he got traded to the Knicks, where he went out, um, I think, with Obi Toppin and and uh, Emmanuel quickly, and like they got dinner and just talked about stuff. And since then, that set the tone. And you know, I think he's had a very solid uh, working relationship with both of them on the court, and it's it showed that they have, you know, they developed kind of instant chemistry. Um, Obi Toppin, in particular, I think he is at his best with Derrick Rose on the court. Uh, because Rose knows how to help him. Rose knows how to find him where in the spots where he is at his best, and I don't know that you know any of the other Knicks have been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at his, his at his numbers through these last six games. He's averaging 15 and a half points, three and a half assists, about three boards, and you know he's he's among the team leaders in plus minus. He just and also his defense. That's one thing that I feel like when he was in New York last time around, he was just a turnstile. He didn't put up any fight on the perimeter. Opposing guards would just blow right by him. But this year, it seems like he really cares. We see him. I know you've highlighted this a bunch on the Talking Knicks uh, Twitter feed. All those blocks in the corner, how he's sprinting out to contest shooters and getting his fingertips on, on shots. He did it in a very crucial moment against the Pelicans, right? The last shot that the Pelicans yep. had, Eric Bledsoe, who'd been torching us. That Derek was... Rose got his hand on the ball and forced overtime. Like, Yeah, last shot of regulation. <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, yeah. I, from, the, from the camera angle, <clears throat> excuse me again, uh, I had no idea that he had his fingertips on the ball. So, like, I thought the ball was going towards the, the hoop and then, like, it disappeared behind the hoop. And I'm like, oh, Derek Rose blocked that. That is awesome. It was... Yeah, you didn't notice it in real time. I didn't either. And it's because it seemed part of it is because it seemed so unlikely that he could have actually even altered that shot. Like he was so far away. But he does show from time to time his elite athleticism that he once had, his change of direction and his quickness. He's, uh, I mean, yeah, he does still take some super acrobatic layups that don't really have a chance. But today in particular, Taj Gibson was there to clean a bunch of them up. And overall, it's just he he brings a slashing dynamic element that Alfred Payton kind of does on paper, but it doesn't seem to translate to like production or, or just any sort of positivity. Derrick Rose is just like the positive inverse of Alfred Payton, and I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for these past six games. Yeah, and like like you said, he. Gets some acrobatic layups, but just his ability to get to the rim and, you know, some of them are acrobatic. Some of them he's just taking layups and it's just so much better than, you know, any of the other Knicks uh, point guard options. Like 
They're running. Alfred Payton can get to the rim a little bit. Emmanuel quickly. That's not really his game. He has a little more. You know, he he he's been struggling with the floater, but that's typically his game. That and shooting the three. And you know, they've been running Alec Burks out there as, as the point guard in the fourth quarter before you know he went into health and safety protocols. And like he's been very effective, but that is also not his game. And he's just been such a threat that today you saw it in the the Knicks' final offensive play of regulation where Derrick Rose with like three, five, five seconds, three seconds left to go started driving at the basket and I lost my mind because the yep. Knicks were down three. And I said, what are you doing? But the defense collapsed for some unknown reason and he hit Reggie Bullock in the corner for a three to tie the game and send it into overtime. And that was just, that just shows, you know, what a threat he is on the offensive end that like, like instinctually people have to 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 flood the paint in order to try to stop him. It was generous of you to say the defense collapsed when it was really just Lonzo Ball completely losing his mind for a second. I don't know why he bit on that Derrick Rose drive, but I mean thank God he did cuz and I mean all credit to Bullock for hitting that 3-2. I mean what a clutch shot. I I was on my feet for that one, man. That was that was really cool. Like honestly I was so angry when he started to drive, and then it worked out in the end. So, what can I say? I, I, apparently, Derrick Rose has better decision making than I do. I, I mean, I, I was with you though. As soon as he, as soon as he went inside the three point line, it's like you're not going to do any damage from in there. Like the, the game's on the line. But yeah, sometimes he, he just kind of trusted that the defenders, that Lonzo Ball's defensive instincts would would kick in and they like, you you protect the paint you protect the rim that's kind of just what's beaten into you um regardless of the context of the play and i mean this time it worked out in a huge way so um yeah i don't know if i really have anything else on on derrick rose i will say i mean there's probably some more points to be made about that new orleans game specifically and this probably isn't one of our six things so we might as well talk about it now did you see zion williamson's comments when he was asked about playing in new york in the post game Hard to miss, Tom. Hard to miss. <laughs> they uh, they were very um, they they were well traveled immediately after he said them, and you know every Knicks reporter that I I follow soon after re- retweeted them, and I, I don't know if you want to just generally say what he said, and then we can we can go from there. Yeah, if, if we had any sort of production value, we would just input the clip right now, but I don't think that's going to happen. So um, I think basically Zion was asked what it was like to play at the Garden, like what his impressions were, and he his face lit up, first of all, and he said, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> he was actually pumped that the reporter asked him that question, and he just talked about how much he loved playing in New York and, and what the, you know, the, the energy from the fans bring, and he capped it all off by saying that, you know, it was almost like kind of almost as though he had to say this next part. He was like, other than New Orleans, New York would be my favorite place to play. I mean, what a what an inflammatory comment. <laughs> like that yeah. is gonna get so many people talking. He has to know. I mean, he's aware of how the media works. He has to know what he's doing at that point. And um yeah, I mean, that was such a weak defense of his love for the new orleans fan base and and such a a raving glowing review of of playing in new york city he said he loved playing at msg when he was at duke for that one game um 
I don't know. It, fans are going to be talking about it. That is for certain. The New York fans are different, and I think you know there was there was also some loud New York chants during this game, and like he he mentioned that whether they're booing you or cheering you, like the New York fans are intense. But like like you said, he has to know what he's saying there because he was very you know happy when he was talking about playing at Madison Square Garden, and then he just kind of has a throwaway line that everyone knows that he's only saying it because he's on the Pelicans, like. I don't think anyone in the world has ever been like New Orleans is my favorite place to play. He he threw that in there and everyone's just like, all right, we heard the rest of that. That was a throw in. Like, what now? I don't know what to make of it. I mean, this this is a dude who has been covered by the media so closely since he was like 14, 15 years old. I remember seeing videos of him dunking in high school gyms when he was a teenager, like He's very aware of how the media works, so um, it's it was a pretty shocking statement. But I, you know, I feel like if you're the Knicks, you probably don't even listen to that. You don't get hung up on that at all. You just kind of keep doing your thing, keep getting better, and keep making the franchise a one that star players would want to go to. And uh, uh, this season has gone gone a long way in doing that, no question. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a big thing, and and he's really not that far away from from being a teenager. So it wasn't that long ago that you were watching those videos, but I agree with you 100. percent The Knicks can't can't base their lives on uh, on what the what players are saying in post game interviews. But it is you know it's exciting at the very least that you know there seems to be a different view of the Knicks from from opposing players and the the idea of playing for the Knicks given the the amazing turnaround in the culture and the perception of the team just based on what they've done this year on the court. And that's, you know, that's if we could have wished for one thing this year going into the season, I think changing the perception would have been number one. I think we had no inclination that we would be a potential playoff team. And that would be that's what we were looking for is just improvement and showing people that you know this could be a destination where you could go and potentially help turn the team around. But now, you know, it's it's a similar position to where the Nets were a, a few years ago when uh, they were you know far ex- exceeding expectations and they had a lot of fun, exciting young players, and that's you know that led to them getting some some uh, top end talent, and that's what we're hoping for for the Knicks is is maybe that this this change of perception uh, changes how how they're treated in the the free agent market. Yeah, I think that's all right. I think you're right. That was a, a top priority going into this season, and uh, the Knicks have have more than proven their competence at this point. Like it's uh, it's not even a question. I think they're turning a lot of heads this season. It's it's been really exciting as a, as a fan. I gotta say. Um, and and Kenny, I'm gonna break format a little bit because I know you have the next one, but I want to bring up one right now so we don't end on a, we just kind of went to the, the positives, the, the highs of Zion's comments. And I do want to bring us down to earth a little bit with, with one of my three things that, that I've noticed during this six game winning streak. And that's Obi Toppin. Um, and it's, it's not that he's played like particularly bad during this stretch. It's just that he hasn't really played much at all. He's averaging just eight minutes per game during this win streak. And he just, he hasn't, really found his place in the rotation. Um, and when he has gone out there, you know, he's either been pulled for one reason or another, or it's just, it's time to get Julius Randall back in. Um, so I don't know. Is there anything that you've noticed 
about Toppin's game during this stretch or anything in general you'd want to say about about Toppin during these last few last couple weeks? So it's I think generally over the last I don't know three four weeks he has looked a lot better than he did previously it could be because he's taking less threes um, so it's less noticeable but he's been you know grabbing rebounds he hasn't been terrible on defense he's he's been um, kind of he, he I don't remember when it was but there was a, a few games ago where he had a few nice like offensive rebounds and putbacks and things like that so he's starting to to round a little bit more into what you would like to see but still you know, as that high of a pick, just not getting that many minutes, it's concerning. And, you know, I think this is, we came into the season and knowing that this is what Tibbs does is he's not, you know, huge on rookies. He's about people earning uh, their minutes more than anything. And this season in particular, he's also been very much about riding the hot hand and riding, you know, situational uh, players. And so there's been a few games, I think Dallas might have been one of them, where the the other team went into the, a zone so instead of Obi Toppin getting his normal minutes in the second half Kevin Knox got those minutes as a potential shooter to break the zone and you know that's happened a couple times and that could be a uh, you know a part of the reason uh that his minutes has have decreased of late but you know I don't think it's uh, I think he's he's been playing better than he had had been earlier in the season I think that's right. I think that he has looked more comfortable um for the most part. There was uh there was that game, the first game against New Orleans when Nerlens Noel was out. He was injured for that one. Um and obviously with Mitchell Robinson being out, there just was sort of a lack of of big men to to even play minutes. And so I kind of thought that Obi Toppin would get his his chance there. Um, unfortunately, he only saw five minutes and forty five seconds in that one. He barely played at all. I was very surprised. Um, our, our guy uh, Pell, your boy, your boy Norvell, Norvell Pell, Pell, he he saw some one. minutes in that one instead, and he kind of took the. Uh, he kind of took Obi's minutes from him. Granted, Pell is obviously more of a traditional center in that he's like a more of a, a rim runner and a rim protector. But like Obi Toppin, part of his value is going to be providing some minutes at center. And so you would like to see Toppin having earned those center minutes over Pell, who is not really a long-term piece for this franchise, who hasn't had much time to be with the team and like learn the different schemes and things. Um, it was a little concerning to me to see Toppin get, uh, you know, get his minutes eaten up by Pell. And I, I again think that a lot of that might just be, that's how Tibbs is going to play it. it he wants on defense to have a big in the center to, to protect the, the rim and Obi Toppin is not a rim protector. So it might be a situational thing where he's just not in the best situation for him because, you know, Julius Randle is playing out of his mind at all NBA levels and Obi Toppin just isn't going to get those minutes. And he's not, you know, Obi Toppin doesn't have the skill to play at the three and it doesn't seem like Tibbs is interested at playing him or Julius Randle, for that matter, at the center. Um, He's more into having the traditional center. So it's just when you can only play the four and the best player on your team and all NBA player is playing 40 minutes a game, 
at that position, there's just not that many minutes for you, man. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It is kind of like a binary thing. It's either Randall is playing or Toppin is playing, and certainly not both. So, uh, yeah, it's it's too bad. Like you'd like to see a little more versatility out of Toppin. Hopefully, he has the chance to show that at some point um, in the future. But but Tibbs is definitely kind of set in his ways in that regard. So that all makes sense. Like there's definitely a reason for why he's not seeing the minutes. But I do think it's worth pointing out that you know our number eight overall pick is is struggling to see the floor and the the Knicks are still having a great deal of success so worth noting um we'll you know continue to monitor that as the season goes on but uh I didn't want to end on a negative thing here but Kenny what what you have another uh another kind of top three thing you've been noticing during this stretch I mean one of I think this might have been my probably the top discussion point and we kind of touched on it when uh when you mentioned the the Dallas win but just generally the play of Julius Randle has been absolutely absurd and particularly the Julius yes. Randle revenge tour against the Pelicans twice and the uh Lakers and then you know he's from Dallas so Dallas as well throw them in there and he's just played absolutely out of his mind and I know we we talked about how well that uh, R.J. Barrett has been playing of late at the top of the hour, um, but I think he had two games, possibly the Lakers game and then maybe the Dallas game. No, not the Dallas game. Uh, the first Pelicans game, where he didn't play particularly well, and it was overshadowed because the Knicks won and Julius Randle just you know played phenomenal basketball, and that's you know that's the kind of development. Uh, situation you want for any young player because there's not as much pressure to pressure to perform every single night like an all all star player and the Knicks haven't had that in a long time every for the last several years all the Knicks fans could be watching because they weren't watching wins was the development of young players so if a young player had a bad night that was in the spotlight and that hasn't been the case in the, the this last season just because the Knicks have been playing so far above above what anyone expected of them, and Julius Randle has been taking the spotlight off of everyone else. Man, he I mean, he's played like a superstar, flat out. There's, there's no other way to describe it. Um, he's definitely getting the attention. I know Jeff Van Gundy was singing his praises during Steph Curry's showing out against the Celtics the other night. Um, I mean, look – I've, I've, yeah, you run out of superlatives. Like you said, like there's not, I, I don't even know what else to add because you watch Julius Randle play and he just, he so consistently makes the right play. He, he does force defenses to collapse on him. He, he draws two and that's what creates your advantage every time. And I've been like a huge advocate for him kind of being involved in more actions, whether that's, I love him as the pick and roll ball handler. I did a whole video about it for Talking Knicks. Um, that you could see on Twitter, but like, good things happen when he initiates the offense as the pick and roll ball handler, and, and either a bit he gets a big, like a Nerlens Noel screens for him, and that oftentimes like if a if a five is screening for a four, oftentimes the they're going to switch that action. But Julius Randle is just way too quick for a lot of centers. So either he's going to beat your big off the dribble, or he's going to just easily step back on him and, and create space because the bigs would be so dropping so far back to prevent that drive. Um, and, th- and then the other option is to have a, a little guy 
screen for Randall. We've seen a lot of actions where Manuel quickly sets that screen and then just pops out. And it's just so hard to guard. It's so hard to guard because defenses are so focused on Randall when he has the ball that quickly he's able to pop out to three and get an open look. Um, so that's just, I mean, that's awesome to see. It's also good when Randall is the screener. So bottom line is I'm saying Randall. <laughs> everything Randall, he does. Everything he does is good. It's just my concern is that we use him so often in just isolation. And, you know, during crunch time, I get why teams go to isolation. You want to limit the possibility of turnovers, right? Like you want to limit all the these different factors and variables and just have your best player try and go get you a bucket against their defender. And I, I understand that. It's just in isolation, Randall's just kind of been okay this year. If you look at the numbers, um, he's taking just an obscene amount of his shots from long mid-range he takes. Tw- I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. He takes more long mid rangers than 99% of bigs in the league. Like there's really no one who takes more long twos than him. Granted, he's been crazy efficient. He loves that that step back long two on the baseline. He's hitting 45% on long mid rangers. It's in the 76th percentile. So it's very good, especially given that insane volume. So it's reliable. It's just I think that the Knicks have ways to get him even better looks. Yeah, and I, I'm i a fan of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I understand your concerns, but also at the same time, like, it's working, man. It's working. And part of it is because he's been so good at getting his shot and scoring, teams are sending double teams, and he's been so good at passing out a double team. So, like... I get your concern, but right now, you know, I'm riding a high of a six-game winning streak, so I say just let it ride, man. Yeah, I'm with that. It's just, yeah, the one number, just looking at his at his stats, he takes a quarter of his shots at the rim, which is, I mean, it to say it's the lowest of career of his career is an understatement. It's like half of his second lowest of his career. It's in the 13th percentile among bigs. He just doesn't really take that many shots at the rim i get it like it's it's super taxing to keep bulldozing your way to the rim over and over again when there's not as much spacing as maybe you like and like you're right randall does create mismatches in isolation teams throw second bodies at him just when he's at the nail you know so I get it. I'm with you. It's just I could see smart defense, especially as we get into the playoffs, smart defenses, figuring out ways to load up on him and and kind of make it hard. We've seen it in the regular season for the Knicks offense stagnates. And so I'm hoping that we see a little, just some more actions because I don't think the answer is less Julius Randle. I just think it's doing more with him. Yeah, and I, and I get that. And again, like – I'm 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 riding the high of the six game winning streak and the the Julius Randle revenge tour. Like going through the last six games, his his stats: thirty point seven points, shooting forty five point three percent from the field, thirty nine and a half percent from three on seven point two attempts in the last six games, which is crazy. Eight getting to the free throw line eight and a half times a game and hitting eighty four point three percent of those free throws, getting eight point five rebounds and seven assists, like. Those numbers are crazy. I mean, I love those free throw numbers, by the way, because that kind of counteracts that 
that whole notion of the not getting to the rim as much like because those don't count as field goal attempts right when you do get fouled going to the rim so i mean think about all those as as you know shot attempts and i think that number starts to go up because he is such a load that defenses have to foul him and getting the line almost nine times a game is just awesome so i yeah i'm certainly not criticizing randall i'm just um you know projecting a little bit uh, uh as far as like the future and you know how how the knicks can continue to improve Something but, to look for, you know. Yeah, and, and but though you're right, these numbers are positively insane. Yeah, he's he's averaging just over four turnovers a game, but at that point you're just picking nits because his usage is so high. The team relies on him to create nearly everything, which is, I mean, going back to RJ Barrett, that's why it's so encouraging to see him run the offense with that second unit and for him to be, you know, that Julius Randle type figure when Randle's out of the game because someone has to carry that load. And Randall is just, he's doing everything. He is doing everything. He's, we didn't even talk about him on defense. Do you remember that, that clip that I sent of him just in Luka Doncic's jersey? Um, that. It was, and I know you told me to clip it too. Like, it was unbelievable how quickly he's moving his feet, staying in front of Doncic, who's one of the craftiest dribblers in the league. And he's, big men, guys his size shouldn't be able to move like that. It is uncanny. I that was probably one of my favorite highlights of this entire season. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you can go to to Tom's um, Twitter account, and there's a play of just Julius Randle staying in front of Luka Doncic as he tries to dance around him, and then eventually he forces the pass, and like the late the um, Mavericks end up missing a three later on. But it was just such good defense from a guy that. You know, no, I, I had no inclination that he could be a plus defender after last season, like no inclination at all. And I think that's <laughs> it's something that we could say about a lot of the players who have been on the Knicks before Tibbs got here is that, you know, they just didn't show any interest on the defensive end. But now everyone tries so hard and like seeing Julius Randle do that one game guarding Luka Doncic in that possession and then going against, you know, Zion Williamson, who is a completely different type of player today, like. That's versatility, and I know you know Williamson had a solid game, but that's it's just being able to throw Julius Randle on those two type of players is just such ridiculous versatility. Like you said, if you'd have told that to me last year, I would have just laughed in your face. Just no way. I mean, we are all just so wrong. Like because Randle is this is this big who can't really protect the rim too well, and you don't think of him as this switchable guy. But look, I mean he's. Yes, Zion did get his numbers, and a lot of cases, these are players who are – it's team defense that stops these superstar-type level players. Um, and the fact that Julius Randle is on the third – you know, depending on the metrics that you look at, in some cases the Knicks are the best defensive team in the league. Rarely are they ever below top three. Like, they are – a top, uh, they're an elite level defensive team, and Julius Randle is playing the most minutes on that team. It is hard to argue that he is a negative defensive player. He is at least part of uh, an incredible defensive unit. He is he can play team defense as well as anybody. I think that's that's fair to say given his role on this team. Yeah, and. Yeah. Not just singling out Julius Randle because we've seen it from a lot of people. We've seen similar plays from R.J. Barrett and Reggie Bullock, and like it's just 
it's exciting to see the Knicks play defense because you know I'm a I'm a defense guy. I know you're a defense guy. Like it's great to see the Knicks play great defense. And it's like RJ Barrett. I've in the past I've kind of wished that he would defend the other team's best wing player, but I'm coming around to this notion that he's just an elite help defender. He just he knows when to help. He knows when to rotate. He's just like. There have been times when he falls asleep off ball and he gets backdoor cut, and um, and I know that probably drives Tibbs crazy. But when he's locked in, like he's such a big, strong body, and he's so smart that he, because he himself is such a great cutter on the offensive end, and you see him apply those that same kind of, you know, those smarts, that intelligence to the defensive end as well. And yeah, his his defense has been super impressive for for a guy his age. So. Um, I don't know, Kenny. Is there is there anything else that we have missed? Those are kind of like our those have been three each with a couple bonus ones in there. But uh, is, is there anything else you think we need to to highlight here? I mean, I I don't have anything else on my list. Do you? You know, we we mentioned Clutch Burks just kind of offhandedly, but he just because he's missed the last two games, there's a little bit of that "What have you done for me lately?" <laughs> scenario where we're like, you know, if we would have had this podcast last week I think it had been a lot more about Burks is it a good thing that he's kind of our go-to creator in crunch time I I don't know if that's really like his ideal role he has produced in a lot of situations he's come up big like huge in some situations but he's also like had some major turnovers um the, the one I'm thinking of is when I can you help me out here when the opposing player just like double dribbled um after the steal oh do you remember it was it was a star player too um oh, which game was that? oh it was siakam it was the toronto yes. Ra- yeah it was the toronto raptors yeah and and burks i mean he had a turnover that could have cost them the game it was it was that big and uh and siakam probably just, should have it probably should have yeah and, and siakam just double dribbled like a doofus that was insane <laughs> I, I couldn't believe he did that but um i don't know burks just just trying to see both sides of it like he has been very productive he's been hugely clutch um i just i don't know if would you rather see the ball in rj's hands i, I would say like against that um against the celtics i felt like with, with jalen brown on rj rj just had such a hard time doing anything off the dribble it, it just it made me kind of worried when the ball was in rj's hands going against a top tier wing defender like that and so I could see how, you know, down the road that's going to be a part of Barrett's development is becoming that that guy who can help you close games, um, you know, on the ball, right? Because right now I think a lot of Barrett's damage in the in crunch time is sort of off the ball, and and someone else creates and he's able to attack a scrambling defense, and he's been really good at that. But really initiating and creating offense for himself and others in crunch time, it's been especially like in the half court, not in transition. I think that's been a little bit of an area for improvement for Barrett. And um, I think I, I'd like to see him take that role from Burks eventually. Uh, but but as of, but for right now, like hand off to Burks because he's been really good there. Yeah, Tom, and I'm, honestly, that is exactly what I was going to say if you, if you just asked me and then didn't explain your perspective, is that I am fine with Burks doing that right now. Eventually, absolutely. I would love to see R.J. Barrett doing that. But for this season, like – I am loving seeing RJ Barrett develop kind of as a secondary um, playmaker and scorer. 
uh, with someone else kind of setting the the stage. And once he's got enough confidence in that, give him the ball and let him create. But right now, I'm I'm happy to take it slow and let him let him develop in the in the background. And just yeah. on that on that Siakam play, um, because that was during this streak, wasn't it? Um, I just want to throw out a shout out to Reggie Bullock because he was actually the one who forced that double dribble because Siakam was dribbling down, looked to the guy in the corner to pass it to him for potentially a shot. I don't remember exactly the situation. But Bullock had booked it back and was about to like intercept the pass if he made it. So that's why Siakam ended up double dribbling, if anyone goes back and watches that play. Yeah, and I think that the term forced the double dribble might be a little generous because I don't think that I don't think Siakam, uh, you know, he probably had some other options there. But no, you're right. Uh, Bullock's hustle was it was a big part of that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of all I've got on this on this six game winning streak. It's been really fun. It's I didn't expect this. I mean, I mean, last pod you guys said undefeated week. We said that, and I think the Knicks proceeded to go one and three during that week. But yeah, but that was the last pod, so we could pretend it was last week. If you don't look back at the timing, then we were right. Undefeated <laughs> week. Um, I, I feel like we should pull up the NBA standings while we're while we're I think here. Cause the, I think the Knicks are maybe a half game out of, I think, Atlanta and bo- both Atlanta and someone else are a half game ahead of Knicks for four and five is that right that's right yep yep both the hawks and the celtics are a half game ahead of new york who sits at sixth place a full game and a half ahead of the heat um and and two and a half in front of the the charlotte hornets who are at in the eighth spot so i mean things are looking really good you look at at the past i mean i'm just i'm pumped man this is great this is great for for Knicks fans who have waited a long time and for even a the hope of, of playoffs. And I think we're getting to a point where like, it's looking realistic. It, it looks unrealistic that we would fall out of that top eight. So um, it looks even less realistic that we would fall out of the top 10 and for the, the, the playing play-in game. game. That, that sounds, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to jinx anything. That just sounds downright. Yeah. Completely how, how implausible. Far- <laughs> So 10th place is, we are seven games ahead of 10th place. Seven games. How many games are left? 50, we've played 58. So 12 games to play, is that right? No, Yep. 14. 14, 14, 14 games, yep. 14. So we, with seven games ahead of 10th place, and 10th and 11th are both tied. So that seems highly unlikely. Although the Knicks, the Knicks do finish the season on a pretty tough stretch. Like not, I still don't think that they're going to finish that poorly. But just a note. Yeah, man, it's it's just it's awesome. It really is. It's great. Um, energy is really good. So we'll, we'll maybe we'll look back on this podcast as like a time capsule. But we're we're riding high over here. Um, Kenny, this was fun. Is, is there anything else? Should we talk about what else is on? Do we have predictions for next week? Do we still do that? I don't know. It's been a while since I've been on here. We can do predictions. Let's pull up the next schedule here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we are going to pod a week from today. So that's Sunday. So that means we're going to have three games. 
No Sunday game upcoming. That's a big one. Yeah, so we've got we've got three games this week. Home against the Charlotte Hornets, home against the Atlanta Hawks, home against the Toronto Raptors. Quite a home stretch coming up. And actually, yeah. this doesn't look too bad. Um, yeah, like I the, think, the Hornets I think, and the Hawks are playoff teams. I get it. But what do you think? So, yeah, that's that's not – I mean, we. I would like to go 3-0 this week. That's my wish list. Because, like I said, the end of the season is tough. So, if we could stack up wins right now, I would be pumped. You're 3-0. Thinking, you're thinking – an. You're thinking a nine-game winning streak. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. And you know the new rule is we can't disagree with each other on this podcast. So there you have it. We are predicting another undefeated week, 3-0, and like, a nine-game winning streak. So we got to beat – I mean, these are all home games. Yeah, so, like, it's not if, unrealistic. It, no, it's it's not unrealistic at all. We're playing Charlotte, who has been ravaged by injuries. Like, they, they were playing very well, ravaged by injuries. Atlanta, who is just ahead of us in the standings. And Toronto, who has been playing very poorly all season. Like, these are winnable games, and that's why I would like us to go 3-0, and because there is a tough stretch coming up to end the season. All right. Well, you heard it here first, 3-0 and this upcoming week. Um, I don't know, Kenny, what, do you, uh, what else is on? What else are you watching? Uh, I, since the last time it was on, I, I finished watching Community. I told you guys that. Um, my, my thoughts were the first three seasons, incredible. The next three seasons, forgettable. That's just, that's about that. Um, I, like you, started watching Superstore after Community. Um, so I am about three, two and a half seasons in, so I'm on season three. Uh, and it's going well. It's a very enjoyable show, and uh, they touch on serious topics in a in ridiculous ways, and like I, it's just entertaining to see that. They really do. I I did finish Superstore, and uh, I deeply enjoyed it. I was really impressed with how they handled it, and I know so. Well, we might get into a couple spoilers here. No, no spoilers for you, Kenny. But two and a half seasons in, that means you finished season two, which was the tornado episode. Yeah, it ended with a tornado, and things got dark for a little bit. That was heavy. Uh, yeah, that was heavy. And even while it was heavy, um, I, I don't. Can I can I throw out a sp- sp- ah, Can I throw out a specific scene? Do yeah, because um, I'm just not sure if our listeners are going to get mad about spoilers. They'll have to. I mean, Although, at this point, they'll have to turn off. Um, and this this episode came out, I think, in 2016. So, um, if you have not watched Superstore and you don't want it spoiled for you you can skip ahead or turn turn down the volume but the even in the midst of the tornado when sandra is shutting the door on her <laughs> her like nemesis or whoever it is i can't remember her name yeah that got me like there's a bunch of ridiculously like nerve-wracking things happening around the store and sandra's just shutting the the door of the the back office or the um, like warehouse office where like everyone is sheltering on this other girl. And it's just like, Oh my God. Even when it's serious, it's funny. Yeah. She shut it on Carol, the Carol. Oh my God. I mean, she's a sociopath, but uh, (laughs) just Sandra becomes such a good character throughout the season, throughout the series. She's starting to develop first, the first season and most of the second season, she didn't do much. Um, I think then, once um she really starts to develop once the rumor of her and 
and Jeff Jeff starts that's when she becomes a, a real character she's got a lot of good jokes that go I mean just her her photographic memory for mundane details like it's just she, she's yeah. tremendous another scene that I really liked from a recent episode again I don't I'm spoiling if you're planning on watching although it's not an important scene at all I just found it funny uh, was when she was talking with Jonah and Jonah asked her about why Garrett was in a wheelchair and then Garrett comes up and uh, Sandra just makes up an elaborate story about what they were talking about prior to Garrett coming up because uh, yeah, Jonah Garrett's didn't... like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> and Sandra and, just like, I, I wouldn't do it justice, but she just, just, just does such a specific lie about like Jonah asking about grilled cheeses and it's just so, or I think it's cheeseburger, sorry. And it's just so funny and so like over the top that I, it's just too good. Yeah, man, the the show is just it, it's super well done. It is it's thoughtful, but it also just keeps it very light for the most part. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for you to to keep going. Where, where, like, what exactly is happening where you're at right now? So, and when I say that they talk about like serious issues, the last episode that I watched was the healthcare episode where um, Jonah develops a healthcare fund, which is it ends up so being a just, pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just a conversation about you know insurance in the United States and like Obamacare covering um, people with pre-existing conditions and all of that. But it's in a sitcom, and it's like well done as both funny and thoughtful. Yeah, they they do a great job on that show. Just like talking about the the benefits and downfalls of capitalism and and how corporations treat employees and I mean obviously there's the whole labor dispute and everything. It's just but it it's so character driven too where it's like the the jokes come from you having developed these relationships with the characters and it wouldn't necessarily be funny if you read it in a script or read it or if someone else you know, like you, like you said, you couldn't do it justice because Sandra has to tell that joke. It's just, um, it's how, that's how a lot of sitcoms are. I found, um, you know, there's a lot of parallels to the office. I think the, the guy who created Superstore came from the office. So you definitely see some of those, the, the same kind of workplace dynamics. Um, but overall I'm, I'm a huge Superstore fan. I'm actually, I'm actually watching it with Rose now. So I first watched it without her hmm. uh, when she was up at Dartmouth, but I liked it so much and said had such nice things to say about it. She was like, well, I want to watch it with you. And so I'm actually already re-watching it, which is a, a pretty quick turnaround. But So how I, far are you in now? I mean, I've done that before. There's been shows where like I've watched and then re-watched in quick succession. Not that quick. Um, I think I think Dark, I watched season one. Um, and then like, not that long later, like season two was coming out, so I just rewatched season one. But Dark is such a complex show that you would be encouraged to uh, to really yeah. home in on those details. Superstore is, is light enough that you, you certainly don't have to do that. But no, we've just started season two. Okay. Good yeah. stuff. I think my last on my list, and I don't want to get too far into it because I think we we've talked a, a bit about Superstore. I'm I'm still on. Um, Still on the Marvel kick with uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which has one episode remaining, which comes out next week. And I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I know you guys aren't uh, the Marvel people. I'm a big Marvel guy, so um, it's been good so far. I'm excited to to see how it ends. So did you watch all of WandaVision? Yeah. 
And, and would you recommend that to Marvel people? Like, was that just a good if, show? Like, I feel like if you're a Marvel person, like, these shows are very much must-watch. Because, like, these are the main characters, and it kind of sets up a lot of stuff that is happening in the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although, they, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was the just regular TV show for Marvel, and I didn't watch that at all. So, like, I'm wondering if I'm missing, like, a bunch of context of stuff that happened there, or if these shows are just different in that they have like a bunch of big things happening. So which so, shows better uh, Falcon and winter soldier or WandaVision if you had to pick they're, one? They're very different. Um, like WandaVision is just so was so uniquely made um, and it's hard to explain, but like it goes from like sixties television to seventies television to eighties television to nineties television to 2000 and like the first episode, the first five episodes and like it's just so it's a very unique thing while also threading together a story and like a in like side stories and if you're into marvel i'd say that one was like very much i appreciated probably more if you're just interested in watching like an action tv show um falcon and the winter soldier is probably more the way to go cuz that's just a normal you know tv show with there's a good there's good guys there's a bad guy and they're trying to hash things out it's just funny to hear you say that like these are main characters because you know when I think of Marvel I think of just like the the old school I mean I'm talking Iron Man, Spider Man, Thor, the Hulk like the original Avengers and you you say these are the main characters and you're talking guys like Wanda and Vision are two different characters I, I mean I don't know who those people are but it's just funny to me that like these are the new main characters. Yeah, I mean, there's it's Marvel, so there's a lot of main characters. But uh, Wanda Maximoff, she showed up in um, the Avengers Two: Age of Ultron, uh, and Vision also showed up in in that same. So they're they came from the movies, and now they're having their own spinoff TV shows. Is what I mean by their and they were like Avengers in the the Avengers movies. So yeah, I feel like trying to dive into the Marvel stuff at this point it just feels like so. Like such a daunting task. There's yeah. so much content, and just it feels like one of those things where when I retire, I'll I'll catch up on the Marvel stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of it, and like to be honest with you, I really haven't I haven't gone back and watched all of the movies. I think I've seen all of the movies at least once, but most of them I haven't seen twice. Although a few of them I have, and like I think just having enough context is the key. So I, I wouldn't, you know, if you've seen one movie, like you get it, but they're good. They're, they set it up enough that you can watch it without being confused if you haven't seen others. Right on. Well, Kenny, we're well over the hour mark, so we can probably uh, wrap it up here. But um, I think overall, like this was, this was good. Yeah. Good stuff. And sorry that I usurped your, what else is on time? Just been watching a lot of TV. No problem at all. No, this was a, uh, hey, if you enjoyed listening to all that, you'd probably, uh, I don't know, you must like the Knicks and, and pop culture. So cool. Thank you for listening. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll have another, we're going to not take such a long break next time. We'll be back in a week um, to talk more Knicks basketball. But uh, Kenny, thanks for doing this. Hey, and, uh, appreciate it. Hey, let's go Knicks. Next tape.